What If the Len Bias Story, hosted by Jordan Ritter Khan, is The Ringer's latest narrative podcast? You can find new episodes every Wednesday on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed. Here's a quick trailer. You've heard his name, Len Bias, 1980s phenom, second pick in the NBA draft. And then, cocaine, tragedy, one of the most shocking deaths in sports history. 35 years later, Bias's legacy is still making an impact. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, this is What If, the Lynn Bias story. I'm Jordan Ritter Khan. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined as always by Sirit Soe. What's up, Sirit? Hey, how's it going, Chris? Uh, we're going to do that thing where we uh, throw it to you and Rob Mahoney because you're going to be reacting to Sixers, Hawks, and Suns Nuggets after the games. But we're also going to have Logan Murdoch on today to talk about the state of NBA villainy. All of that coming up right after this. All right, and we're back. 13 hours into the future, approximately. I don't feel any wiser. Rob, do you feel wiser? I mean, we crack time travel, so we must be at least a little wiser, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a simulation, but that's that's fine. <laughs> uh, I think so. You're first of all, thank you for joining me today at ten fifty. Oh, sure. PM Mountain Time, the best time zone. Who calls this in the Mountain Time? time? Oh, well, I do. Just, just keep going. We're just gonna I blow do. past that. I do. I do. And it's by the way, the best time zone to watch sports in five o'clock. Everything starting with the NBA, perfect. Four o'clock, it just, it's too fast. Like, it's just, it, it feels like it's rushing on you. Anything else, you just, you don't want to be up that late for the late games. It's a good time zone to watch sports in. I think everybody working in sports media should move to the mountain time zone, which is still in the playoffs, despite the fact that the Denver Nuggets just got knocked out. Hey. Not, not knocked out yet, but they just took a 3-0 deficit to the Suns. Um, the Suns are just a better team. The Suns are just a better team. <laughs> it turns <I> out. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. Uh, what did 
What are your initial thoughts on this game? I mean, I think there's a degree of inevitability here, right? Just in terms of the Nuggets running out of steam offensively, especially with the way, you know, if you're going to surround Jokic and put so many bodies in his way, crowd the paint the way that the Suns have, eventually you're going to have to pay the price for starting Austin Rivers and Faku Campazzo. That's just, that's just basketball logic. And uh, the only question was, can the Nuggets eke out some wins? Can they, you know, fake enough of the other basketball stuff to sneak by? And the answer seems to be a pretty definitive no at this point. <laughs> it really did kind of feel like that, right? Like, you're just like, we'll just keep putting this ragtag group around Jokic and see what will happen. Um, and that's, by the way, that's kind of what the Nuggets season has been. And that's why I voted, I voted for him to be MVP. It's very... Strange, we are now having one of those Nuggets. You know, th- this is basically going to be a eulogy for the Nuggets, and it's yep. also the day that Jokic got his MVP trophy. Um, but he had a monster game 32, 20, 20 rebounds, and uh, and 10 assists. Uh, but it just wasn't enough. Just wasn't no, enough. I mean, they they got good stuff from Monte Morris, and they got a lift from Will Barton, and it just didn't matter. Really. What did you think of Aaron Gordon today? Oof, yeah. I mean, this isn't the Aaron Gordon they traded for in the sense that he's been forced into a totally different role. Uh, one that's, as we've seen from his Magic career, not super comfortable for him. I still would have loved to see him in the ideal healthy version of the Nuggets. That version of Aaron Gordon is someone I'm interested in watching. Unfortunately, with the, you know, the long-term nature of Jamal Murray's injury, I don't know when we see that version of the Nuggets again. Uh, but in this case, in this kind of role, he's he's kind of set up for disappointment. He is not a go-to scorer. He's not even a guy who works mismatches super well. You know, he can body smaller guys inside sometimes, but his offense was ugly. And, you know, they ask him to do a lot defensively. I, I think we can probably close uh, close the case on whether he can guard Devin Booker or not. Uh, but e- either way, he was kind of set up to fail there, and his own game sets him up to fail a bit off- offensively in this kind of role. Yeah. It really sucks that Jamal Murray got hurt. And to your point, yeah, we just don't know when we're going to see them again. And it sucks because this team really had a chance to be something special this season. Um, Aaron Gordon, in the role that he was supposed to be in, would have been the perfect guy for this team. And you could really feel them missing a guy like Jamal down the stretch here um, when the Austin Rivers magic runs out and... uh, and and Michael Porter Jr., who seems who seems like in in seems like he was moving around better today than yeah, for sure. than he was in game two, but still didn't have a great night in terms of in terms of scoring. Came out of the gate pretty aggressive, and then we just didn't really get much from him. Um, yeah, you could just you felt it. You felt the lack of Murray there, and it just honestly really sucks because this could have been a really good series. I actually think that if these teams were to be healthy and ever face off, this could be super exciting. But yeah, moving on, man. The Suns. Well, well while while we're eulogizing, I mean, yes. were you in the the rapidly developing cult that I consider myself a member of that was about ready to to put the Nuggets in as their finals pick for the Western Conference before Murray's injury? I was I mean, I was right there. I was I was right there. I was really close. Yeah. I was really close. The Gordon trade was just so perfect for them. Um, but, I mean, I, I also think that there are limitations that this kind of exposed in, like, 
some of his decision making that I hope I don't know I think maybe this playoff series is actually a good thing for him he looked very frustrated towards the end there but actually getting this deep and like being in a situation where like you care and you know you didn't live up to something is is sometimes is sometimes good um yeah just I think needed to see a little bit I think gonna need to see a little bit more from him defensively um to be honest for I don't know I don't know I'm I'm like Am I wrong for this to like put some doubts in my mind about the the Aaron Gordon long term fit in in Denver in terms of like him being the all out sort of like Draymond esque defensive guy that they need him to be because he just wasn't that on any level. Um, just you know, aside from the offense, which is its own story. Um, I don't know. I just didn't see it. Didn't see like defensive IQ at least. Well, I mean, this was always going to be a team, even in its fully healthy version, that was going to have to overwhelm you with offense. And you just lose so much of that stability. And and not only that, but then you are giving up easier looks going the other way, where you're cross-matched, where you're at a disadvantage, uh, where guys like Gordon, again, are, are set up to handle matchups that do not suit them terribly well. So He's he's not Draymond. He's never going to be Draymond. I, we 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 really need to stop comparing anyone to Draymond. To be honest with you, yeah, who would uh, ever do that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, wow, that's that's such a crazy premise for a piece. Who would ever go that far? I know. I know. I mean, just media these days, just got to exaggerate. Anyway, okay, moving on. Let's talk Suns. Um, yeah. This is this team going to the NBA Finals. <laughs> It sure kind of seems that way, doesn't it? Kinda it kind of looks like it. It kind of looks like it. So um, everything is peaking for them at the yep. exact perfect time. Uh, you've got Cameron Payne finding new depths to his his driving game every single day, just like figuring out like, oh, like, yeah, this off-kilter angle works. And like, I'm actually, oh, I'm quicker than this guy. I'm quicker than this guy. I can just keep keep it moving. They're still not blocking me. Um, I, I'm First of all, it's just, it's always a joy to just watch a player kind of find that as, as they're, as they're like going into a series. Um, but yeah, that, that Mikhail Bridges, it is just, I, I feel like you're always just going to know what you're going to get with him. Um, he'll either make shots or miss shots, but just, I think fantastic job defensively, like this entire series. Perfect double teaming. Aiton. Um Aiton shouldn't have been able to hang. Aiton was way too Aiton shouldn't have been able to hang. Aiton was way too young for this series. This is the series that Jokic was supposed to manhandle Aiton, and then Aiton was supposed to come back next year and then be the guy that can <laughs> handle Jokic, you know? Like he's so got you have the whole arc step. worked out. And it's usually just how it works for big men, you know, and, and really for anybody, right? Like he should have gotten schooled. This is one of the most skilled big men. He just took home the, the MVP trophy. And granted, there were some times, like I think that third, I think Jokic just decided, yeah, I, I can do this for a stretch. But throughout that series, it didn't really, it, was, it wasn't really the case. And Jokic also said that Aiton is a guy that like actually gives him problems, to which Aiton was like, damn, he said that? That's lit. <laughs> um, which... Watch watch DeAndre Aiden press conferences. They're a delay. He's a delay. Um, but seriously, sh- just just incredibly impressed with his defensive leap this season. Like just like to the Gordon point from before. I just I think being able to just process the amount of information that he had to process to get to the point where he could actually like be a pretty effective 
post defender and help defender for a team that is probably going to the Western Conference Finals when that was not really a priority in his career before is just not a thing that's supposed to happen. Just kudos to him, man. Well, especially, you know, as we as we mentioned, Jokic put up great numbers in this game. But th- those numbers are kind of predicated on the way they're playing him. You know, like, and putting Aiton in that position as the first line of defense without any outright double teaming, which is the, you know, the crucial difference between, say, this and the other game we're going to talk about tonight and the positions that puts your whole team in as a result. You're going to live with Jokic being one of the best players in the league for being a dominant scorer when he need like he was hunting hook shots at points in this game which is i mean awesome to see from an nba fan perspective but also there are there are limited returns when your entire offense is revolving around that engine and no one else in the starting lineup can score so that's that's kind of where we end up as a result of Aiton being able to stand up one-on-one against Jokic with again guys shading in his direction but not bailing him out schematically in a way that you might expect an opponent of the Nuggets to do, given the fact that no one else on their team is presenting that much of a threat right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let, let's let's talk about Embiid. Let's talk about Embiid. Oh, we're um, just jumping straight over. We can we can go back and forth. Okay, let's talk okay. about Embiid because you do get to a very crucial difference here because um, it seems like for the most part the. Suns were really only bringing a double when Jokic got into post position and was also starting to back down Aiton. Usually, I think, like, after he started dribbling or started making some sort of move. Um, that was not the case in this game. Uh, with Sixers-Hawks, um, we had... Well, like, I'll let, I'll let you take it away. I'll let you take it away. Well, l- let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What is your experience watching Joel Embiid right now? Because I'm getting, like, a little bit of awe some bewilderment that he's out there at all given his injury mm-hmm. and then moments of just abject terror when he falls face first into the paint several times a game. Okay, so that that fall and then him deciding on the next play that he was going to go for not just not just going to cut to the rim for like a, a nice little dunk because he got left, you know, he just had a, a lane in the center, but because he just wanted to, and he just wanted to slam it. And then I felt like he wanted to scream, and then he just didn't because I think he realized that like that was actually a very painful thing to go through <laughs> for his knee, and then he was wincing on the way down, and I was like, please do not play with fire right now, man. Like, I get it. Like You're probably extremely upset. You probably want to control this. Um, I'm really glad he was able to play the rest of the game. Played really well the rest of the game. Um, still sort of trying to understand how somebody can play with a, with a knee meniscus tear, um, which also just calls into question the whole experience I just had right now, uh, watching that happen. I don't know. Like I, <laughs> health wise, like who, who the hell knows, right? Oh, you're, you're just um, losing your grip on reality. Is exactly. You're like you're just, well, I mean, always, right. But just, just watching that happen, I was just like, sure. And then he just stays in the game and then it's a blowout and he's still in the game with, with two minutes left, which always upsets me in any scenario, but in a Joel Embiid already has a torn meniscus, which we should be talking about every sentence. Um, and this game is over and he's already kind of like tweaked it in this game. Like get him out of there anyway. Like let's maybe like whatever, like let's hope, hope that goes well. Um, don't love any, everybody in that situation playing with fire, but just an amazing performance by him. Both of these games were persistently close in ways that were kind of annoying in the sense that, you know, 
the Sixers should have had that game wrapped up in a way that Embiid could have watched the last eight minutes from the bench, and they just could not get to that point. And then in the other game, it seemed like the Nuggets were constantly battling their way back from a 12-point deficit, and it was just yo-yoing all night long. Uh, but the Suns just were in complete control of every single run that the Nuggets made. I I mean, the Embiid stuff is just scary at this point. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm watching every dismount, every wince, every grab at that knee, just hoping it holds up. Uh, but it doesn't feel great. You know, he, he had an amazing game, and it, it did not feel great to watch it because of the potential uh, fallout that could come from it. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, like when... When it comes to his mobility, though, he seems to be moving a lot better now than he was at the beginning of the series. Like, do you see that at all, or is that because I just I just feel like he's been able to contain Trey a lot more than he was. I think that's I think that's part of what's scary, though, is like the way he, you know, like for example, defensively, mm-hmm. he completely has iced the Clint Capella lob out of this series just by being huge, by being in exactly the right spots and by mm-hmm. edging in on Trey enough to take away that passing lane. And we saw him like leaping to deflect some lobs in ways again, that mm-hmm. just make me super nervous. But his impact also, on this game defensively just, was so huge. Yeah, but like that, like that's what makes him so good. Like that is what I wanted to talk about with this game is just like he, I mean, the Sixers basically just said, yeah, we're going to guard the Trey Young, any Trey Young pick and roll, we're pretty much mm-hmm. just going to guard with two guys. We'll we'll switch our yep. coverages for who the two guys are, but it's going to be two guys. We might hedge, we might trap for a second, we might switch, but it's going to be two guys. So with Embiid, it was always anybody that's with Embiid, it's always going to be a drop. He's a little bit higher now, on, on as you know, you just expect that to happen as the series go, goes on. It's Trey Young, you get used to it. Um, but once it became like two people have to guard two people and B just started manipulating the hell out of the game. Yep. Like he would just, he would, he would pull back and, and then like, just try to uh, like steal or, you know, block a, a, a tray floater or he would like make it look like he was going for the floater and then just pull back for those lobs. Like you talked about, it was just like, it was just like an all out clinic in terms of like defensive manipulation, how to get somebody to do exactly what you want them to do. It was just amazing. Um, And similar to the other game, it's a great example of how a star on the other team can put up big numbers but still feel controlled within mm -hmm. the context of the game. Like Jokic went off. Trey Young, again, had a good game by the box score. But Mm -hmm. because you're guarding him with two guys... And because the defense looks so different against him than, say, it did, you know, the busted pick-and-roll coverage we saw the the Knicks try to throw at him, Mm -hmm. it's just a different world when Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel are chasing you over screens and Embiid is the guy who's meeting you. And you don't have to worry about kicking out to shooters because they're all covered. You don't have to bring that third guy into the pick-and-roll to defend it at all. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, one of the things that has been... I don't know. I don't want to say it's bothering me, I guess, but like one of the observations I've had about the playoffs so far is just how much the physicality that refs allow is what's determining. I don't want to say the results of some of these games because I mean, that just, you know, there's, there's a lot to a, a game, but at least the tenor of them, um, like the difference between this game and any other game in this series was just like, the first half, the refs just weren't calling it when Trey Young like stopped and tried to get bumped when he was coming off of a pick and roll, or like if 
you know, Thibel got a hand on one of his floaters that wasn't a foul. And that kind of changed as the game went on. But, like, I don't know. It's just, like, increasingly, like, you saw this happen in the Memphis series with Donovan Mitchell just baiting Dylan Brooks. And then you also saw it happen in in uh, in the Nets series where, you know, the, the Bucks got home and then immediately, like, P.J. Tucker can just play much more aggressive defense on KD. And that kind of just changed that whole game. Um, and the same thing kind of happened here. Granted, you don't have the same home road dynamics, but the refs were just allowing more, and it just kind of it allowed the Sixers to survive Trey Young. And it's honestly like it's not really on the refs. It's kind of it's kind of just a logical extreme of what happens when a whole bunch of players just are a so skilled that defenders just have to be aggressive. Like if you're Matisse Thybul, there is. There are very few ways for you to defend Trey Young without just falling for pump fakes, especially when it's going to be like the third head fake, right? Like that's <laughs> just kind of that that's just kind of how it goes. And like with Mitchell, you've got him like just pausing after pull-ups. With KD, you've got any number of tricks Harden, we don't even have to talk about it. Like players just are putting refs into situations where it's just on them to decide what happens more often than ever and I like I just feel the impact of refing more than I ever have before yeah I mean this did not feel like a terribly well officiated game uh just from a consistency standpoint Mm -hmm. which is exactly what you're talking about like you could tell a moment at which the game shifted between you know Trey Young not getting those calls and all of a sudden he could I don't know why that changed I don't know what what you know, switch was flipped there, but one certainly was. Ooh. No, what I mean, switch the, was it? <laughs> where, where where do they keep it? Who presses the button? <laughs> it's a great question. I wish I could find it. Uh, but to your point, like there wasn't a home road dynamic in this one, but it was a young team, veteran team thing, where the Sixers, like they're a team who has been in these positions before, who aren't, you know, even though Joel Embiid is a guy who baits for some of the same kinds of fouls that Trey Young might. They just have more ways to sustain because they have more guys who have been in the playoffs. And the Hawks, this this was a game where they felt their inexperience a little bit. Yeah. it's There's also a bit of a time and score thing, too. Like, I think it's always smart to go, especially, like, when you need it. Like, yeah, go get yourself a foul. But, like, if that's the tenor of the game and you need it, like, get to the rim. And not to say that, by the way, like, I think, I think you know, it wasn't really refing and all that stuff with Trey tonight. Um, no. What what did you think it was? In terms of what held the Hawks back in general? Yeah. Their defense. Like, they're going to have to figure out a way to get stops because now this is basically, what, seven of eight quarters where they've just been bleeding points to the Sixers. Uh, that's not going to work. And, you know, I, I understand how difficult it is to match up with Embiid and control that and, all, you know, also deal with all the spacing that they create and present um, and try to try to contain Ben Simmons in transition, all that stuff. It's not an easy job. But that's the job you get if you're, you know, if you're in this kind of series. And right now their rotations just are not there. Like they they are not there, especially in a series where Clint Capella is going to be dragged out to the perimeter a lot because he has to hang with Embiid if that's what his matchup's going to be. And so, you, you know, 
they need more out of John Collins in terms of as a rotational defender. They don't have DeAndre Hunter right now. That's that feels like a pretty big loss because that's a guy who naturally, you know, can not only lock down against bigger forwards, but rotates really smoothly in a team concept. They just they feel so disjointed, so disconnected in terms of what they're trying to do defensively. And then you flash to the other side of the ball where Simmons and Embiid specifically in handling that Trey Young action feel totally dialed into what the other person is doing. You just don't get that from the Hawks at all right now. Yeah, that's true. You actually, you can, you can very much feel that duality though, but man, like I don't really know what you do against Embiid right now. If he's going to keep having games like this where like Capella, man, Capella is working. Like he is trying to push Embiid out as far as he can. There were, there were some post catches out by the three point line. Yeah. Um, and then like the moment he catches it, it's just over for him. Like, and they bring the double right away. They bring the double like pretty much on the catch. Like there was a possession where, um, where Embiid was, was posting up on the same side of the floor as Ben Simmons is and Thibault, which you just always love. Always a good time. Um, immediately gets triple teamed, of course, and then ends up, uh, just drawing a foul. Like, like he just he and en- he ended up just spinning away from the double. Didn't see that Solomon Hill was like behind him, triple teaming him. Um, but Solomon Hill was in his landing space, and it ended up into it in just in points, in free points. And that's just like, what do you do? That's not going to happen every single time. But he's just like he has presented an impossible question. Honestly, like I just don't know what you do with him if he's healthy because. He's also in this mode right now where he knows that, and I think he's been to the playoffs enough times. And I'm, I, I, and it's the same thing with defense too, like that you brought up, where the Sixers just feel like they are getting down to business. Like they they came out in that second half, bunch of Ben Simmons post ups. He was already playing like a reasonably good game. He was getting out in transition, and then he he just turns on the Jets after that. Like he he spins John Collins once and then he gets Seth Curry for a three. He's out in transition. The defense is incredible. Um they're getting in the passing lanes. They're not letting the Hawks shoot any threes. Um it's just it, it, I don't know, like they're they're really Yeah, man, they're on they're on a chain and they look they look special right now. Like I'm really really excited to see what this team can do. Well, and it's scary to think that this is probably the most perimeter-oriented game we're going to see from Embiid. And that was kind of part of what made me worried about his knee for a minute was I was wondering, like, why? Like, I know these double teams are coming early, Mm -hmm. but why are so many of his possessions starting at the three-point line? Like, why is he not fighting for position? Why is he not going inside more? And then he'll spin on somebody and drive in and dunk. Or he'll go on the other end and blow up a lob. And he just looks totally athletic and fine. And so, like, you're again, this is a super perimeter-oriented game from Embiid. And he still put up a 27-point near triple-double. Mm-hmm. They still outscored the Hawks by 16 points when he was on the floor. That's an unwinnable formula if you're yeah. in Atlanta. Um, and, and it really, I mean, there are kind of three things that need to click uh, or that, that did click in this game that you need to start to take away from if you're if you're the Hawks. I mean, Embiid being at the level he was, there are some days where he won't draw fouls as well, where he won't hit shots as well. Those are going to be increasingly rare because he's an incredibly talented player, but that's a possibility. But if he's clicking like this, you have to hope that Tobias Harris isn't because he's mm-hmm. kind of the fail safe for so much of their half court offense. It's like, can Tobias Harris get to his spots, hit little pull up jumpers, hit runners, hit little post ups? Mm-hmm. He w- he played a great game. That's and another so that, matchup that Hunter changes. 
Oh, absolutely. And and so if that's also working, then you're really hoping for door number three, uh, the nuclear option, which is just have to hope that the Sixers bench minutes absolutely suck. And this was the game where they were going so well, Dwight Howard took a three-pointer. So that's kind of... <laughs> That kind of sums it all up. Dwight for you Howard took a three-pointer, missed a three-pointer, and it went to George Hill for a three. That is how well <laughs> things were going. It didn't even matter that Dwight did that. Um, I love, by the way, how much Dwight just like really wants to shoot threes. Like you can tell that anytime that he knows that he won't get benched for it, it's kind of yeah. going up. <laughs> <laughs> That's when it really started. Like he he felt that this was a blowout, even though it was probably like a fifteen-point game at that point. Well, it was one of those fifteen-point games. Just like the other game, which we'll get back to, that just it didn't really feel like a 15 point game. Um, It kind of felt like Philly had had a grasp on it pretty much throughout the game. And I think the perimeter thing is interesting from Joel because he is kind of a perimeter oriented, not perimeter oriented player, um, but he is like kind of a perimeter based game. Yeah. Uh, big face up guy, obviously, like just has incredible, incredible touch with like the short jumpers and stuff. And him being out there a little bit more and that getting Simmons involved a little bit more in the paint just made me feel a little bit better about the Simmons and Bead thing as well. Like that and that ultimately, I mean, this was I want to like I, I do need to tone down a little bit here. The Sixers had a perfect game like they're not going to. They're not going to do this. Wait, so by perfect, often. do you mean do you mean like the best case scenario of the Sixers, or do you mean the most Sixers ish game possible? No, like the best case scenario within the context of like you know the effort they were bringing today. Like you know Tobias goes off, the shooters go off, Embiid plays really well, Simmons plays really well, the bench shows up. Like you know everyone showed up, everyone showed but up for this game. Other- I would say that the asterisk to that is this is the best starting lineup in the league. And they just lost one of their starters and Danny Green in this game. That's the big question. I mean, and mm-hmm. ca- I mean, calf strains do not go away. Even a very minor calf strain can be a persistent six to eight week kind of injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have to see what Danny Green is able to give them. And, you know, he's going in for an MRI tonight. We'll see what comes back from that. But you know, the chaos that comes with just like plugging in Furkan Korkmaz in this game, they were able to sort that out fine. And Furkan had a good game. That's not always going to be the case, yeah. uh, even though, you know, he gives you some some of the spacing Green does, but you're losing some of your defensive flexibility when you lose a guy like Danny Green. Yeah, and I think it gives it gives Hawks, uh, it gives Trey Young specifically just somebody in the starting lineup that he can target, based yeah. whoever it is that they start, right? Um, and like it just it just makes it a little bit harder for them to to switch and and. Yeah, I'm trying to convince myself. I really am. I'm trying. Um, I don't know, I mean, man. Get- like, I, I get it. Like, I think it will hurt them at some point because you just always want that depth defensively. But, man, they just they have a deep roster of, of guys that can do Danny Green things. You know, they have like, a deep roster of guys, yeah, that you can plug into the starting lineup and feel okay about in some fashion. You know, they're either going to give you some spacing or great, you know, Matisse Thibel's case is going to give you, I mean, he makes 99th percentile level defensive plays every single game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're getting something good from that spot, no matter who you plug in. You're just not getting the comprehensive package in a way that, you know, maybe maybe like Bogdan Bogdanovich goes off in the next game, and that's the solution because mm-hmm. you know Green was kind of tasked with trailing him after he basically flunked the assignment of guarding Trey Young in this series, mm-hmm. and that's where you may lose something if you decide to go for more offense uh, with Green's replacement. 
Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's true. That's true. If you if you do go, I, I just feel like there's a natural progression here with like M- Matisse Seibel. I just feel like is gonna have to play more minutes as the playoffs go on, and I think like the shortening of Danny's minutes would would have probably happened if not in this series, in the next series, um, which you know is unfortunate. But it just kind of it feels like kind of where where things were at for him and. You're talking about role player god Danny yeah. Green here, the guy who only wins championships. That's who you're talking I love, about. I love Danny Green, man. I love Danny Green. It just, you know, things things aren't looking good. <laughs> things aren't looking that great. Um, let's talk about the Suns. Uh, they, another team that I'm just so excited to see what they can be. Um, I did a whole thing on Devin Booker a couple of days ago. I kind of want to do it again. Like, literally no one is stopping you thank you thank you for not stopping me um look man like we see it with Embiid too like Embiid has had has had these games like where he kind of to me looks like he looks like seven foot Kobe honestly like some of the moves that he makes in the post um and like you kind of see the same thing from Devin Booker and like it's natural right like a whole generation of players like grew up idolizing MJ who grew up idolizing Kobe or MJ, whatever other way around. Um, but like everyone wants it. And this guy is actually the closest approximation in terms of style, in terms of like just how he plays his, his scoring ability, his touch, his understanding of, of the moment, like for him to come out in this game and just, you know, desi- decide that they needed to win. Like, he's had a couple of those moments. Like, he mentioned it in game six. Like, they wanted to close them out. Um, he's just, like, he's learning almost, like, how to how to kill opponents. Like, really. Like, he had a ruthless game today. Like, he just kept coming back and back and back. Like, he just wanted to end them. Um, and there was nobody that could guard in guard him. Aaron Gordon couldn't guard him. Michael Porter Jr. has not been able to guard him. Um, on the drop, like Jokic can't guard him. Like, the, and he knows he has a free runway to the rim, and he's actually taking advantage of it. And I think it's just such an impressive thing for a player that this is his first time in the playoffs. Like, I just keep having to remind myself of that. Like, when I think about like how poised he is. Um, yeah, I mean, like this is. This is who Devin Booker is like thought he was going to be for a really long time and like he actually has become that and it's really cool. Like you is see that like, self-actualization? Is that what self-actualization? Is that ma- that's is? manifestation. That's manifestation actually. No, that's but yeah, no, he's he has, right? Like that that's that's actually like you crystallize it. Like that is actually like what is so fun about watching watching him. Like it is watching like a young person figure it out. It's really cool. And like the the playmaking, the defense, the talking, like that's like he, you know, he can he can put up points, right? But it's like, how do you use your tools? It's, yeah, it's just it's just super fun to watch. I think and the like, Kobe example is really instructive because he took the right lessons from Kobe. There are guys who who have come into the league who have tried to have the Mamba mentality game and just want to do mid post turnarounds. That's all, that's kind of all they want to do all the time. Uh, you know, ISO post over and over and over. And if you watch Devin Booker, I mean, he is an incredibly physical off-ball player. He is curling. He is, he is making you work before he ever touches the ball in a way that I think facilitates this really healthy dynamic that the Suns have that's almost 
it's not quite a LeBron Kyrie thing, but it's it's a riff on the same idea, which is Chris Paul keeps the offense at balance, and then Booker just to you know he just gets to be a buzzsaw. He just gets to run through defenses, work them off the ball before the catch, get into advantageous positions before he even touches the ball, and then exploit you. Like if you're a step behind him, if you're all over him, he's going to spin back. He's going to draw a foul. He knows how to work you. And that was what always made Kobe great. It wasn't just like, oh, the post footwork. Oh, like the fadeaway. Like all the, those are components of a greater philosophical approach that I feel like Booker probably has more in common with than any of his other contemporaries. Any of this other like post Kobe generation, these guys who idolized him, as you, as you noted, that's all there. That reverence is there. But he's doing it in ways that Kobe himself made super constructive and made into winning basketball. Rob, that was that was just such a lovely soliloquy, like making what what I tried to say sound so much better and just with so many better, so much more. Wow, wow! It is very much eleven thirty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being so eloquent. Thank you for staying up with me. Appreciate of it. Of course. I don't know if I'm the Chris mm-hmm. Paul to your Devin Booker or you're the Chris Paul to my Devin Booker, but whatever whatever is working here, we just went up 3-0. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we don't we don't have to put a label on it. Um I feel like I'm more chaotic. And you're So like, you're Furkan Korkmaz is what you're saying. Wow. I like I just you just you just put me on your level. We were Batman and Robin, and now <laughs> I'm the guy coming off the bench that like you don't You really talked know yourself out of it. I wasn't talking to myself out of it. I was just okay. trying to. I was trying to understand our dynamic. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Rob. Um, what are you writing lately? Who knows? I mean, honestly, playoff basketball coverage at theringer.com from me, from everyone else on our staff. Go read it. Yeah, check it out. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Honda. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit Honda.com slash Prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. All right, we are back. It's me. It's Syrit. It's say hi to the bad guy. It's Logan Murdoch. What's up, man? What's popping? <laughs> we here. You can hear Logan on Real Ones, obviously. Uh, and today he's joining us because he wrote a piece a couple weeks ago about Trey Young. I guess it was like two weeks ago. Right after the Trey Young's big silencing of MSG moment. 
which kind of solidified his his uh, place in the firmament of NBA stars, especially in this postseason, but also gave him a lot of bona fides as an NBA villain. Maybe not a super villain yet, but definitely a villain. So Sirit and I wanted to talk to Logan today about this. We wanted to talk about the state of NBA bad guys and what they really are in this day and age. Yeah, we wanted to talk about the idea of villains. Does the NBA still have villains? I had that question, actually, and then Trey came along and pretty much solidified it. So let's start here. Logan, tell us about your piece. Uh, my piece is um, on Trey Youngin's uh, villainness. It is... Uh, I, I guess basically- Wait, let's stop here. Let's stop here. There is actually... There are so many... It is very difficult to describe villains. Like villainness yeah. is a name that you just had to had to come up with right now. There's villainy that that Chris just used. Like how many how many uh, roots are like villain? I guess is a root. How many different ways can we describe villains in a sentence? Uh, villain, um, villainy, villain, vin, vin, villain, vanilla. Is that is that a way to do it? Can we do it that <laughs> way? Is, is that is work Trey as well? Young, is Trey Young like villaining? Is he, he is vanilla villain? villain? He is, he's like no, he's in the process villain. of villaining. Yeah. Is yeah, it an action? Yeah. Is it, you know, is he just a villain? Does he embody the villain? Is it? I think, I think villain is a very nuanced thing and it's created through a lot of different factors. It's created through, um, I think in Trey Young's case, villain is created through the fact that when he was a kid, he was the shortest kid in, in the in the uh in the gym right and he got pushed to the back of the line and that that really put something in you i'm sure everyone starts out as nice but when um different things happen to you it builds a level of resentment to everybody else so you find this person that is has is well intentioned with everything and trying to be the nice person and is brought in uh a lot of things happen to him and he's he or she or they or whatever pronoun you want to use are put into um, this level of villainy or, 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 or villainous or whatever you want to call that. But it's not something that somebody just wakes up and say, hey, I want to be mean. I want to be an asshole. It's something that is built up through time, I think. So you think there was a point in time where Trey wanted to be the nice guy? I, 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 I'm not sure. I mean, I, I believe so. Yeah. Like in, in reading on Trey and, um, and just doing research. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like he, and even now he wants to be liked in a lot of ways, but I think that it takes another turn when he just, there's a certain point where you're just like, well, fuck being liked. I'm just going to be, I'm going to buy into this. I'm going to buy into all this. We see this with Trey Young. We saw this with pretty much every modern superstar and maybe in beyond right you saw that with you see that with Wilt Chamberlain you see that in a lot of what you saw that with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar you saw that with um Allen Iverson LeBron James Kobe Bryant now Kobe's is a bit more nuanced than we think right because it was a lot a lot of that was his doing and a lot of that shit was something that he did off the court but you see this time and time again um, where there's this arc, right? Where when you get drafted, you're, everyone loves you. Everyone is like, "Oh, he's the next big thing." I'm just I'm, let's let's talk about LeBron, for instance, right? Oh, he's this great thing. He's the best thing we've ever seen. We've never seen a high school player like this. And then it's like you start picking at his game. It's like, uh, well, dude doesn't have a jump shot. Uh, well, um, he can't win a playoff series. Oh, uh, well, is he really like? Does he have the clutch gene, right? Or um, is he really? Um, is he a leader? Is he goofy? 
Um, then there's this narrative that comes around LeBron and then uh, it comes to a crescendo. Then he wins a title. And then it's like, well, can he win another title without this? It's all, And then it builds up resentment from that player. And then you start to see that as him as a Miami Heat player in his first couple of years. And then he wins a title for Cleveland and it builds into this narrative that, you know, that we all created that if he wins a title in Cleveland, then he wins three times. That means three titles in Miami, right? And then he's vindicated. And now he's, he's, he's Teflon when he wins a title against with the Lakers. So it's like always this arc that we get with players. And you can give them down the line that we kind of uh, do to, you know, sell our league, sell the league that we love. Yeah, it's true. I feel like with almost every uber famous person, there is this this arc that happens at first. Like you said, first we love them and then they disappoint us somehow. And then there is some sort of backlash to them. That disappointment part with with Trey is really interesting to me. And it ties back to the stuff with LeBron as well, because what did LeBron do? LeBron violated a norm, right? Like LeBron left a team when you're not supposed to leave a team. Kevin Durant violated a norm. Allen Iverson violated norms in terms of in terms of the culture of the game. You have Trey is also kind of violating some norms as well. Like he's taking from the Harden playbook in terms of, you know, foul hunting and stuff. But he's also just just the fact of his existence. This guy who is I was watching the game with with my mom the other day, and she was like, he's smaller than Steph. And like for her, that's like obviously there are players that are smaller than Steph, but that is that is kind of like the mainstream. Like she is shocked by this uh this guy's existence and it's 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 really interesting that like to me at least that all of these guys sort of like go through this arc where then they like sort of become accepted again as yeah. well like i feel like by I doing like the same thing though by doing the almost yeah. there exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> we just we just start we don't like what they did and then they win and then we just sort of like start to accept what they did right um, and that that I think is going to kind of happen with with Durant too. He seems to be on the other the other end of that. But it does make me think like these figures they change they change the game. Um, and I'm curious what happens to an NBA where where Trey Young is successful, where where James Harden is successful. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happens to an NBA where Trey and James Harden are successful and the very qualities that we used to deify Westbrook for are now like things that we mock him for, right? That they are like villainous, that he stat pads or that he takes too many big time shots when he's not the right one to take them or that he seems to care too much. It's like Russ is almost like corny for like caring about whether or not the Wizards win an eight, a play-in game, right? And now but, but Russ, I think, gets on, in some corners of like basketball discourse, gets mocked for it. It's really interesting though. Like I was thinking about, I don't. Do you guys watch horror movies at all? You guys, The Shining movies? is no, really good. I, you guys should I've, check it out. Yeah, I've I've watched The Shining in a film studies class before, but <laughs> I have I have enough intrusive thoughts without you know giving them to myself. So there's but a Chris, there's a trope, there's a trope in like exorcism movies uh, where somebody usually says something along the lines of, "If I believe in God, then I have to believe in the devil." Right. So that like the, the same thing goes for like NBA players. If you believe that these guys are heroes or that you love them or that you cheer for them, then the, the, the opposite must be true for some people. And that often like competes with it, that you would also think that they are villains or that they are there to disrupt your enjoyment of your team. The thing that's really interesting to me right now, I really wanted to get you guys take on this is because when I was growing up, it was just really simple, like 
Anthony Mason clothesline Allen Iverson, therefore Anthony Mason is a villain, right? Like that, it was just very basic. And it was a lot of it was shot through the prism of teams, even though I would walk over glass for Iverson. Like it was still like all all of it was tied up into Philadelphia and him being a sixer. Mm-hmm. But in this kind of like era, shout out the I, answer, yeah, the podcast, That's right? Named after him. But the fluidity with which guys change teams now and like things kind of change will fall apart and come back together now. I think that it, you see a lot more like here's my preference of player rather than pl- preference of team. So what does mm-hmm. that do to our concept of like a, a villain in the NBA when? You know, a Harden can go from Houston where people generally disliked him. And then I feel like in Brooklyn, even though he was like, I'm just not going to play for Houston until I get exactly what I want. He goes to Brooklyn and people are like, Dad, you know what? James Harden's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think it's like when you, um, <laughs> I think we also have to go through the, uh, we have to know this about, I think, I, I wish fans would know this and have a bit more nuance. We don't know these people, right? So we're really, and I think in the irrational hate on that is kind of weird, in my opinion. Like, I, I think that I, I had to deal with this with our, uh, my co-host, Roger Bell, check out the real ones Mondays and Thursdays. Um, but you get this thing, I remember when the biggest like, you know, when you said that uh, that Anthony Mason clothesline Iverson, like literally, Raja clothesline my favorite player of all time. And I, as a <laughs> as a kid, I I, I hated Raja, but I think as an adult, I'm like, yo, man, I I get Raja's story and you know him being a guy that uh, you know had to really bring himself up, like. It, by his bootstraps and and playing these off-brand leagues and then and really earn his way into this league, right? And you kind of see why someone would have him fucked up, even if he's a star. Even if you yeah. joke around with Roger Bell about, you know, stars maybe not being on his level, he takes that shit personally, and he should take that shit personally, right? But I wish that there was a bit more nuance in how we uh, – talked about villains or who we deem as villains right because I, I just wish that there was um a why that this this person is this way right or why that that we you know, my biggest thing i can go back to lebron in general right or even the i i'm sure we're going to get into this i see the rundown right now um Kyrie and how we cover Kyrie and how we mm-hmm. call it's it's cool on headlines and you know calling him the disruptor right but that really that's in a lot of ways that's kind of it's it's it, it it doesn't feel right when you when you see something like that, right? And I think we play a part into um, how we cover these guys and make them these kinds of ways. And a lot of that deals with um, you know how we see them. Race plays a part in this, and and how we we put in headlines on things, and we by and large make these otherwise normal people villains. And we we make them this way, and then we want to get mad when they when they bounce back and they and they they say some shit back to us, and then all of a sudden they're villains. I mean, we talk about Russell Westbrook. A large part of why he's a villain is because he doesn't talk and he mm-hmm. doesn't say um, he doesn't play into our media game and doesn't play until the way we would like to. Whereas uh, you know somebody else, you know. Or even LeBron. LeBron plays our media game, does everything, and still is cast this this villain. There was a whole summer during 2010 and 2011 of him getting, um, you know, he's immature, his 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 posse, um, all these different things, and I and it's kind of manufactured. He hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't been had anything in the. He just 
didn't play basketball and didn't make a basketball decision that we all agreed with. Like, okay. But I feel like we can have villains, but I think we need to be responsible with how we cover villains and how we, uh, or cover who we deem as villains, if that makes sense. Logan, you just, you just made so many good points there. Um, that Raja thing is so interesting. I want to talk about all of that, but let's start there. Like, I think the idea of, of parasocial relationships is is like really changing the idea of villains and, and parasocial relationships essentially like they've existed forever. Um, they're just basically like the relationships that you know we will have with celebrities, whether they're artists or you know any any type any type of celebrity. I guess uh, the nature of those has changed because though because we see more of whoever is famous as actual people now for a number of reasons, like social media, whatever we don't, we don't really need to get to. We all live in this world. Uh, but it does trouble the dynamic of it. Right. Like when you, when you think of somebody, when you actually like acknowledge somebody's humanity and their agency to make decisions, you're not necessarily always going to look at them as a bad guy, but like, what was it like for you to like go from like, seeing Raja as like this this all-encompassing evil to now he's like your co-host you're I don't know I don't want to say like I don't know what your relationships are your friend or yeah. like somebody that you talk to like every couple of days I think with Raja well I mean at a time when, when me and Raja about to do the podcast I really didn't care about that clothesline I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna, keep, it a bu- I'm gonna yeah. keep it a bug with you I well, did what, not care what but- was your first uh because you you mean you covered the Warriors right like you covered Katie you covered a guy that was also beloved and stuff like what was your first sort of like you know, like, I guess just a moment where you realize that you were off about some of these things. Uh, that I was off, I think, hmm. I don't know, man. I think... Or just I, a wake-up call, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. want to say you're off. I do remember this. Okay, so I was at a... I played, uh, not played, but I was a huge Raiders fan. Like, a huge Oakland Raiders fan. And you want to talk about, like, a fan base that casts other people and things as a villain? It's the It's the Raider Nation. You know what I mean? And so I remember one time when I was like, uh, my first encounter as a fan, I remember I was, I was, it was opening day two, 2000, I believe. I went to a game with my mom at the uh, Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. And um, I was in the nosebleeds in Mount Davis. It was hot as hell. And this Charger fan came. And I remember being like, Yo, there's a Charger fan. And this Raider fan comes behind me. He's like, where? And he throws like a fucking hot dog at the fucking, at the Charger fan. Throws like a whole hot dog with like the mustard and everything. First off, why are you, why are you wasting money, bro? Like you're wasting a Coliseum dog on another person who was honestly just trying to watch the game. Like it's just trying to have a fun time with, I don't know if it was what their pronoun was, but like they were trying to watch the game, right? They were trying to they were trying to just have a fun night out or fun day out, right? And I remember thinking like a few years later, like that was that was fucking stupid. Like that was really stupid what fans do because of a team and because of an organization that one don't pay them and like you don't know these people. Like you, you don't know these people. So I, I remember seeing that. That was one of the first instincts where I was like, This is stupid. This is really stupid. But I was eight when I thought when I when I thought it was stupid, and I didn't, you know, I had a whole bunch of other thoughts. So like when um, it was funny though, like I was mad at. I remember being when the Raja thing happened as a kid. I remember being mad at Raja, but also I was just like, well, let me just 
let me just th- let me just read up on Raja. Like he, had, why would he like the audacity for him to do this? Let me read up on him. And I never really was like had beef with Raja like that. I probably said it just to be joking, but like I never had beef with him. You kind of all I saw is somebody that like was felt like he was getting bullied by somebody that was you know not only Kobe but also Phil Jackson. And remember at the time, like Phil was always on the refs during that series. And he felt like he was backed into a corner and he was, and if you know Raja, if he's backed into a corner, he's not fucking around. Like he's going to, um, he's going to respond if he feels like he's violated. So I kind of respected that. And, um, but I kind of got it at a young age that like fans are by and large, like, I don't want to say stupid, but they can be at some, but you know what though? It's, it's such an electric, this is such an interesting conversation topic because, you get into a zone where, because I've, I've been thinking a lot about the Nets because there is a ch- chance that the Sixers could play against the Nets. I've been thinking about like watching the Nets kind of like proceed through the playoffs and specifically like their play style and like why like I'm like in awe of it, but also not necessarily like emotionally attached to it or stirred by it. You know what I mean? That there is like a kind of 2K-ness to the way that they play where I'm just like, yeah, this is a math problem you can't solve, right? Like there's just too many shooters and playmakers on the court. You're not guarding them with seven people. So how are you going to stop them? And I was watching them and watching them. And, you know, you read it went, like reading more like some of the interviews with the with the guys on the team. And they're kind of like, just like, there is a vibe to them where they're just like, just sit back and clock what we're doing and appreciate it, mm-hmm. right? Like, just like, this is, th- what we are doing is is on another level. What we're doing is art. Like, just enjoy it. And I kind of felt like that a little bit kind of came out uh, in game three, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, when PJ Tucker kind of, get, get, he was giving Durant a little bit of like business after a, a, a whistle. And Durant was just kind of like, the way he reacted was kind of like, Man, just like it was just get like get the fuck off of me, but there was mm-hmm. also like an element of like just let just watch me do what I'm gonna do to you. You know, yeah. don't don't get mad yeah. about it. Don't try hard. <laughs> don't think you guys are gonna win. Like yeah. this is gonna happen. Just enjoy the ride. And yeah. I was like, you, that's not sports though. Yeah. You know what I mean? This isn't this is why this isn't theater. It's not going to appreciate greatness. I wanna see these guys get challenged, and that's in that moment is where it's the special thing that happens in sports where something can happen that's not scripted that does feel electrified is like why I think it's as big as it is. I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of people who appreciate the aesthetics and there's a lot of people who get really into the statistics, but ultimately those like kind of like I am cheering for this person or against this person is like the the base experience people have with sports. I mm-hmm. I think that we I think that we should get to a place where where as fans, one, we should recognize that we don't know these people, but if we're going to cast somebody as a villain or, or like say we don't like them or say we don't like this team, it's fine. You could say that. You could. You don't have to agree with anything that they say. I would just say leave it on the court. Like as my, as my, uh, yeah. as my coach, Alonzo Carter, used to say, coach of San Jose State, get your feelings out to shit. Get your feelings out the shit when they get <laughs> off the court, bro. Like, you don't know them. And then the funny thing is, and I'm sure that there's going to be Nets fans that really don't like P.J. Tucker after, like, last night, whatever, they're uh-huh. getting each other. The funny there's, thing well, is... I'm sure one of the 35 Nets fans will probably dislike exactly P.J. Like, Tucker. Exactly, like, fan number 34 is going to be Chris, like, you're I already, hate, I you're hate. already ready for the series. But the funny thing is, though, <laughs> is, like, 
PJ and Kevin are like really good friends. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I know. So yeah. That's that's the funny thing is so like you're gonna like defend Kevin or whatever, and Kevin's probably gonna look at you like, mm-hmm. bro, I rock with dude. I'm not really a have beef. But there was a point that you just made, Chris, that was really interesting about um the Nets players saying, You guys should appreciate this art that is going. And yeah, but I think that uh I think that a lot of those guys, and specifically Kevin. I think he saw all of those things that was going on in Golden State about like there was so much. I think that times there was so much vitriol against what Golden State represented and a lot of those things during the Kevin thing that we kind of missed out. At least the fact that that was some of the greatest base basketball we've ever seen, especially during that. Like I think the last two years with all the you know the turmoil and things like that, there was such a, in my opinion. There was such like a pushback on super teams and everything that Golden State represented that it was like, we want parity. We want, no, no, we want parity in this league. Parity is good. And it's like, actually, no, parity kind of sucks. And we've built a league on dominance. Whenever you talk about the Showtime Lakers, the 80s Celtics, the um, the 90s Bulls, it's all because they kicked the shit out of you. That's why we liked it. We liked it and we liked them because we wanted to see if they were going to lose. And I think that what you see with the Nets is a lot of these people, a lot of the players on the Nets are like, dude, we're in this once in a lifetime opportunity. We're in this once in a lifetime um, time in the world. Yo, can y'all just like love us and just like see what's going on in it? And I think that they're saying it kind of doesn't work that way, but I see why they feel yo, let's just like enjoy who, you know, I don't think that let's just enjoy what it is. Cause we might not see this again. Yeah. It's super, it's super interesting. Like even this conversation that, that you guys are having, like it gets at this sort of tension about where we really are with, with fandom and how we rue. Um, and part of the thing that we are kind of trying to address here is like, is the way that we talk about villains, the way that we make villains now a little bit obsolete and I think just the fact that they can push back yeah. changes the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, one of, one of the most interesting things about, about Durant was when he said, when he was nicknamed the Slim Reaper, he didn't want that nickname. And I think immediately the pushback to that was like, you don't get to decide what your own nickname is. And that that alone kind of tells you like how much of this conversation <laughs> has been dictated by by media for a long time. On some level, it's true that nobody gets to dictate what their perception is, right? Like we're gonna go put this podcast out into the world, and people are gonna judge it however they do, regardless of like you know what my rundown said before. Like already, the conversation isn't what we talked about. Like that's life, right? Um, but I think there is also value in in listening to what it is that they push back against specifically like for with with Durant for example he said he didn't want to be known as a slim reaper and then he started thinking about a nickname i think he actually said it said it to to friend of the pod bill simmons that he wants <laughs> to think of himself as as a as a servant and yeah. i think that's really interesting because it, inherently like he sees himself as bringing light not death, and that kind of goes back to like you know, the 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 horror villain uh, movie thing that you were saying, Chris, where it's like 
if there is a God, then that means there is a devil. And there's just this like duality that we have about all of these things that I think is just increasingly like becoming a little bit obsolete because, and maybe it's always been obsolete and maybe now there are people that are actually pushing back against this stuff. But like essentially when, you know, for example, um, Alan Iverson getting clothesline. I don't think people in New York were saying like Anthony Mason is a villain for that, right? Oh no, it was um, it was there- when Mace was on the Bucks. It was in that it was in the Bucks series. So it was like mm. Mace, it was in the Bucks series. Sprewell, Cassell, Ray Allen team that the Sixers beat in the semis to get to the um the Raptors. No, 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 it was the other okay. way around. Other way around. You guys, oh, yeah, the other way around. Other way around. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. But yes, but Milwaukee you- fans, right? They were not like Mace is a villain. They were like, that's good defense. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly I, mean, <laughs> I look I, i'll be completely honest with you like yeah. if there is an inevitable dwight flagrant coming in this sixers hawk season series, yeah. right it's it is going to happen and when dwight does that when dwight howard does that i'm gonna be like it wasn't that hard yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm gonna say well, didn't look like that hurt that much, mm-hmm. you know, like and when yeah. Trey Rung is rolling around the ground and Dwight is like pleading with the ref not to get tossed. I will probably instinctually because I can't help myself mm-hmm. be like that wasn't that hard of a foul. Yeah. What was it like for you to watch Trey versus the Knicks though? Oh, it was awesome. It was beautiful. But the thing is, is that I do think this is changing. I do think that. Aside from the Knicks fans who were making like viral videos outside of MSG dressed as Spider-Man and drinking Hennessy and stuff like the most people and especially at MSG, like one of the reasons why guys love playing there is because they get the sense that the crowd there actually like loves and appreciates good basketball. And that is like the the secret sauce of that place is it's like it's a good arena. It's a great arena. It's a great place to go. It's awesome to be in Manhattan and then go out after the game and everything. But the thing that people love is the electricity that that comes from people who really appreciate great basketball. So I think for as much as they were screaming Trey Young's balding or whatever at him, I think that when he did It's Quiet as Fucking Here and then bowed at the end of the series, mm. I bet you 75% of those people mm. went home and were just ah. like, that dude is a yeah. That was that beautiful. Yeah. And they There's were probably a like, I want him on the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you'd be such a perfect Nick. Uh, just kidding, Hawks fans. Um, it's the Trey with Trey. It's really interesting because I think the fact that, especially in 2021, the fact that he actually embraces the fact that he's a villain and does the showmanship actually is what makes it easier for us to lock into it and get into it. Like he has, as much as earlier in his career he didn't necessarily want to embrace that. He has now embraced it and, you know, just taken it for what it is. And he wants the booze. You know, he's, he said he put on a show and he knows what you do when the show is over. Like, that's just, that's bars. And I think we we all enjoy that. But there is like, there's an agency that he has now. He has decided that he is the villain. And I think that's kind of what separates him from from the Nets, for example, even Harden, right? Like, I think him and Harden have so many similarities in that, even in Luka, too, like, the way that Luka draws fouls, like, they are at the edge of the SIG that is, that is changing the game. Um, but Harden wants to be seen as an innovator, and Trey doesn't mind being seen as a villain. I don't think he necessarily even cares how you see his his foul baiting, but Harden, the way he looks at it, it's like, look, like I'm looking at these rules and I'm finding a new way to play the game. 
And I think essentially that is a thread that is similar with all of the guys that we're talking about, whether they're changing it on the court or off the court. Well, yeah, changing the, how they run their well, careers. How I they think, their careers. yeah. I mean, I think that like there's this pushback because also like we're all writers, right? Like we work hella fucking hard at writing and podcasting, right? We put in so much effort. I know you guys put in a lot of effort on the answer. Me and Roger put a lot of effort in on the real ones that you can watch from uh, Mondays and Thursdays and listen on the Ring and Friday. <laughs> but when you put in all that work and, and done something for your whole life and then for somebody to go who has never done it or has never like has never even tried to put in the work that you have and be like, oh, that's that's bad basketball. Never mind that uh, or that's shitty. You suck. Like, like they see one game, one thing that you do, and it's like, no, it's no, no, no. I don't like. I don't like you. That is their whole entire being that you're talking about, right? And so I can I can get why players would be sensitive to that because it's like, mm -hmm. like, yo, man, I, Siri, we talk about this all the time when we write, dude, and what we're putting a piece of ourselves into the world. So if someone says. Like, I write so much, and someone says, oh, that was solid. That was cool. You're like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I spent the last two nights, I got a combined three hours of sleep. Logan, is this, this a massive subtweet of your editors? <laughs> no, it ain't my editors. My editors, shout out Justin Sales. Not Sales. yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. But, like, yeah, you know, just somebody that says, like, no, this is can. This is rat. But I can see why that could. This is like a subtweet of self-loathing, really. <laughs> right, right, else. right. I can, I can get that, but I just, I, you know, you, I. I see this, and I and I'm talking to speaking to someone who wants villains in the game. Like I want that. I absolutely want there to be villains, Agreed. and I think that it'll be great Agreed. because Agreed. I, I because mm. I found when when Trey did what he did at Madison Square Garden, and I wasn't the biggest Trey fan, but I immediately was like, I fuck with him for mm -hmm. doing this. Yeah. I I respect mm -hmm. him doing this because he's thumbed his nose up at every single person that that doubted him or that. Didn't like his like you know his off season selfies when he bites his lip or like or somebody who or no, all that stuff or who doesn't like his game thinks he's trying to be mm -hmm. Steph he thumbed his nose up and was like all right and after a win and I was like I respect that I respect that energy mm -hmm. and I was like yo I need to write on this and so that's I, I do like that energy that's why I think villains should be in the game but I think that we should mm -hmm. just overall I think we should just be responsible in both how we cover them and how we talk about them in general. Yeah, I think there's a level like with with Trey, it's it's so organic, and I think a lot of these other villain types, it's more like we're kind of mad at a black guy for doing what he wanted to do. Yeah, essentially, I think we're also like I think that a lot of this stuff we're we're in a new phase of this where there is like mm -hmm. a blossoming of this kind of like animosity or or however you want to or criticism, whatever you want to say, that is really rooted in the fact that that. A, a star player could change teams two to mm -hmm. three times in the course of like five to six years. It, it's not on, it would not be unheard of for if what happens like in two years, if Kyrie's like, I'd like to leave Brooklyn and go somewhere else, you know? Yeah. I think it's a value shift really essentially. Yeah. Right? right. Like I think, I think that's what's happening. Right. Like I think, I think LeBron scared people. Um, the Nets scare people. Their success, I think scares people because um, well, first of all, with Kyrie and KD, just the fact that they left, um, the, Kyrie, for him to want to trade trade from Cleveland, and then for KD to leave the Warriors, 
both of those two are signaling that there is something beyond championships worth chasing. Mm. And they're going to go do it with a super team. And I think that that is just... That is a con like you know I think like that is a concept that I think you know is is kind of scary in that like we don't really know what, what do you think they're chasing what is sports going to be for after that I, go ahead Logan I think that they're chasing power and a power that they've never they haven't had before and the reason why a big reason you're, you guys are historians of the game big reason why there there wasn't player movement historically is because there wasn't free agency. <laughs> You know, there wasn't like you didn't have that. You literally couldn't leave. You could get traded somewhere, but there was in the 80s, you couldn't leave. You couldn't leave the Lakers. It was dope if you was on the Lakers. That was tight because you was locked in for a decade on the Lakers. That was cool. But by and large, the power of where you played had to do with the establishment, right? Yeah. And yeah. now you're seeing Kevin Durant literally had a billionaire white man beg him on national television to stay with his organization. You know what I mean? He had Joe Lacob say, please, one more year, one more year. You can go back and look at it during a ring ceremony. He had that. And when you have people doing that and you have, you have that dynamic happening, there's obviously going to be pushback. LeBron James said to Dan Gilbert, I really don't give a fuck what you have i don't care about quicken loans i don't care about anything that you have to do i don't care i'm going to leave your organization and i'm going to you know i'm going to go to the miami heat because that's something that i just want to do i want to go kick it with my partners and i want to go win championships with my homies and then a few years later he says well you know i don't really want to do this anymore i want to go back to cleveland and dan gilbert i guess i'll give you a title and i'll never talk to you but I don't think we've seen that. We've never seen that before. And when you have these players, by and large, you have these black players. Um, because don't get it twisted. That has a that has a lot to do with this villainy oh, and yeah. villain stuff in general. Yeah. But when you have these black players, by and large, thumbing their nose to the establishment, the establishment is going to push back. And fans in general, historically speaking, for whatever reason, have always taken the side of management and ownership mm -hmm. Um, over, by and large, more people that, people that are more of the common man than we think they are. Mm. They just are more outward facing. But when we see these black players thumbing their nose up at this, I don't know how else to say it, this white establishment, there is going to be pushback. And I think that's what we're seeing, honestly. That's what we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And I think also, like, you know, the fans, the fans are fans of teams, right? And the teams, the guys who stay on the teams for a long time, they are, you know, the owners, the GMs. And, and stuff as well. So I think it's a little bit natural to take that side as well, which also, I mean, you know, like let's, let's talk about Kyrie. Let's talk let's about talk Kyrie. About Kyrie. This is some, but th that's something that he's kind of brought up in, in a different way. You know, like you heard about him suggesting, Hey, should the players have their own league? And he kind of, he's interesting. And in then he's done kind of like, there's I feel like we're, we're we're kind of building towards like kinds of villains and like the kind of thing that I'm OK with rooting against and the kind of thing that I'm like, uh, I don't know. I think everyone kind of has their own relationship with it at this point. But like Kyrie said, he was going to go to the Celtics. He said he was going to stay with the Celtics. Then he left the Celtics. Um, and I think if you're a Celtics fan, I think that's like, yeah, boo him. Like, that's totally fair. And Kyrie like wanted to. 
you know, jump on it too, like stepping on the logo and stuff as well. Like there is a level at which like, you know, he is participating in that as well. Um, but there's also the other side of it where Kyrie was also, you know, one of the only guys pushing back against the bubble mm-hmm. um, has kind of, you know, also taken like, man, taking personal days. That is a concept in sports that we are just so not OK with. We are so not used and to journalism. That fact. And if he. And he <laughs> at, <laughs> if the Nets win a championship, especially with like Kyrie's been playing really, really well uh, in in this Buck series and, and throughout the playoffs overall, if he keeps playing well and they win a championship after he had the season that he had after you know Harden, and, uh, you know, forced his way over the team as well, like I think a lot of people are just going to have a bad taste in their mouths because of what they think about about how sports should be played, mm-hmm. right? And what it means to be part of a team. There's also another end of this, though, where Kyrie is one of the <laughs> only guys that's like looking at the structure of how sports works and is saying, hey, maybe part of this is like not that good. Like, for example, the fact that he took paternity leave, like that just made me think about the fact that like, athletes don't take paternity leave like a, yeah. a lot of assistant coaches coaches don't take paternity leave or coaches maternity it's so leave. normalized like, for a coach to be like yo man i had my, my wife had a baby and i'm here tonight like she just says yeah. that's so normalized and it's like oh my god what the strength yeah, but it's like no that's, that's not cool it doesn't happen in normal life kind of <laughs> strange i don't know like every you know do do you man like i also like i think there's a lot of people who work at the in the nba to like not be around their families and stuff so like you know like it's it's a little complicated but yeah, um, yeah like he he he's broken norms and he's also broken rules as well like not talking to the media and stuff mm-hmm. and there's yeah i don't know I think- it's 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 interesting. Kyrie to me is like a, a lot of people now root for him because of that. I, That's the part that is that is interesting. I think what Kyrie well. is and I was I was watching this Breakfast Club interview with Jay-Z and um he was talking about Kanye. And I see a lot of similarities between Kanye and and uh and Kyrie. But what he said about Kanye was very interesting, Jay-Z. He said, um Kanye is the guy that runs over the hill without even thinking and sometimes he needs people to he has great intentions, runs over to here to see what's up and to, to advance the culture. But sometimes he needs help from his people, right? Like sometimes he, he runs over, it's like, oh shit, that was real. I need, I need help. That was real. But I think with, with Kyrie and Kanye to a certain extent, to a certain extent, not like with the, the political Kanye, I'm not talking about him. What I'm talking about is he is one of those people that puts a mirror to the establishment and shows a lot of their flaws, right? He might not be right in a lot of the things that he does. Like, I don't fully agree with what Kyrie does in terms of what the media and stuff and maybe the flat earth theory. But when he talks about some things with the media, he puts a mirror of like a lot of our flaws, man. And a lot of like when he talks about when someone acts like, yo, is LeBron a father figure to you? It's like, bro, are you serious? I have a, I have a dad, but that was somebody who asked him that question. And it's like, are, like, what do you mean? You were taking away um, a lot of things. And when, when you read about, it's funny because in that disruptor article that you read, he's, it's, it doesn't seem like when you read the article, it doesn't seem like Kyrie, Kyrie's just like asking questions. He's like, okay, well, um, 
I don't know. I feel a little uncomfortable going into the bubble, right? I just feel a little uncomfortable with what's going on. And he's asking he's asking these questions about this establishment. And I think you need people like that. Now, am I is the earth flat in my opinion? No, it's not. Like it's it's scientifically not a flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's he, the Earth he's, flat thing is a really interesting thing. I think to that me defines him in a way, and I think that makes people it uses him and uses people use that as a way to say Kyrie's yeah. stupid. And exactly, you kind you always say and it's that like Kyrie's a dumb stupid. thing yeah. that he said. It's a dumb thing that he said he is, has to live with, which is not true. But I think it gets brought up. It's been so many years. It was a dumb conspiracy theory he's had, um, and. It gets brought up like every single time that he does well, it's brought up something, like, and I think he that said there's this, so everything else exactly. But I have a one more thing though. One more thing. Exactly. One more thing. What? What? Mm-hmm. When you talk about the difference in like, okay, Kyrie says some stupid shit. Also, he was like twenty four, twenty five. That's not excusing mm-hmm. a lot of things, but also like Steph Curry says some stupid shit too, and along the same lines. But Steph, every time, and that's not. I don't know what this is, and Steph is smart and all mm-hmm. that thing, but like. The, the the difference in the, the moon way- landing was fake though. That's that's the difference. <laughs> no, the right. difference the, is the, the moon landing is, was actually though, fake. The, like the, the flag wouldn't move like, in space. It's, 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 it's kind of true. But here's the thing though. Why was there wind? Right. Why was there wind? <laughs> but here's the thing though. I it's think that, Stanley Kubrick shot it on the back lot. Right. But like, um, I think it's because like Steph by and large is a media darling. Like if you ask Steph yeah. and you know Steph, yeah, he's gonna Steph give you some love. Steph doesn't call into question the purpose and motivation, right? Of the media but does itself. he have those feelings towards the media? Like I, I'd imagine maybe. so, maybe, right? Yeah. But because Kyrie went on this full like fight against this media crusade, I think that he's also he's. It makes it easier for the media because we're all we all got feelings, bro. Like if somebody shit talks us, we're gonna we're gonna feel some type of way. And I feel like we the media in general takes a lot of shots at Kyrie because of that that um the what what he said in that quote in a way that like Steph doesn't get. And Steph said some stupid shit too, and it's okay. And he apologized for his stupid shit, whereas Kyrie was like, "All right, I don't give a fuck," and just kept moving. And he doesn't talk to the media, and I think that you see that away. We kind of take that out if you don't talk to us. We coming for your ass. We coming for you. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think you start to see that with Kyrie because he does it. He thumbs his nose up at us and we're like, yeah, all right. And I think you, that it used it against him. Do you see the, the Kyrie media thing any any differently now with what happened with Naomi Osaka? Um, it's I think I see a lot of similarities, honestly, where it's like it's funny because around the same time both of them asked the crowds that were they were going up against or they asked a, a, a contingency um, of the people that were going to be at an event not to be uh racist or not to be or not or they asked them Kyrie asked the, the the fans not to be racist and Naomi said I'm going through mental health issues I just can't physically I can't speak during this time right I can't do this and both entities literally went in on those athletes um, the media um, or the establishment at the French Open was like, well, you need to go to the media. She said she was going to pay all the fines, but apparently that wasn't enough, right? So she be- that became a story in itself. And everything she tried to fight against or try to prepare herself against happened to her, forcing her to leave. Everything that Kyrie, when he said, yo, I don't, I just don't want like some racist shit to happen to me when I go to Boston. I please play. Like, I just want to hoop. Two days later, some shit gets thrown at him as he's trying to get off the floor. And he's all they want is their agency. They just want to be able to play the sport that they love, 
right? Without all of the mental strife that goes along with it, any extra mental strife. And I feel like someone asked you, if I ask you like, Chris, yo, man, yo, man, I just don't like, I don't like, I don't like the way you did that. Or I don't like, the, I don't know, you call, say like Chris called me low and I don't like being called low. Low, I mean, Chris, I don't like being called low. Can you stop calling me that? I would think that Chris would tell me or Chris would be like, all right, bet. I won't call you that. You don't like being called that for sure. Um, and we would be, but, but there's, there's not that same respect. I don't think that's to these athletes, right? Like, it's, it, I mean, this, this gets back to what we were talking about. Yeah. It's like, what happens, what happens to our relationship collectively to sports? Mm-hmm. If we start sort of taking away some of the more like, like, problematic but also passionate aspects of it yeah do you know what i mean and yeah. this is like people in crowds together after a long time not being together drinking watching a game and letting their like stuff get away from them and that happens with popcorn on westbrook and it happens with water bottles on Kyrie, and it happens with people yelling about trey young's hairline you know what i mean like it's like where is the line like there are obvious lines but like where's all fun and games where is what sports needs to still be that like cauldron of passion that makes us talk about it all day long and think about it all night like that 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 is why sports is like has like outsized importance not only to us but to societies because this is this canvas that all of our emotions go on and what happens when we're like but not that emotion and not that emotion and i agree with you man i agree that like Kyrie is making incredibly normal points He's saying, that's a stupid question that you just asked me. Or he's saying, like, I'd rather not get racially abused when I go to this gym. You know, like, those are all things that humans should definitely be able to point out. But I'm saying, like, it's really fascinating to watch where we're at. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. to have this conversation with you guys in, like, three years and see what what basketball is like. And, you know, Logan, it's so funny that you brought up that that childhood memory of of the Raiders game because it's like we're having this conversation. Football is not like that. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. It's funny because it was we we're talking about that, and I'm even just thinking about the difference. You talk about football, and I'm thinking the difference on how we cover, um, or how in the moment we covered like Marshawn or uh, even Kyrie or don't or Westbrook and all these guys that don't want to talk, but like we celebrate when Pop does it. Oh, it's hilarious when Pop does it. Like, yeah. like yeah. let's be real. I mean, Pop is a. I've had like fun exchanges with Pop, but Pop can be an asshole to media people sometimes. But it's like, yeah. oh my goodness, Pop, it's good. But like yeah, he's like, like a like genuine a, it's asshole. Like theater to watch Pop be a jerk to people. Yeah, and I've um, seen it like firsthand. It's like, dude, that was kind of fucked up how you said that to this person. Like they were that was a good question, and you just like shitted on them. You know what I mean? But it's celebrated, and it's just kind of it's it's weird. And I think that. I don't really have the full answer to this. I'm just pointing out what I see. You know what I mean? And I think that we're all at yeah. this point right now where we just, I don't know if there's a full conclusion to this, but I, we all agree that it's fucked up. I think. Look, we, we love, we love putting out questions that don't have answers That's on why this it's called, show. Called the answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The only man, the only thing I'll say about that Raiders game is I just don't understand why somebody would give up a good vibes hot dog like that. But like a hot dog in a crowd. Also, How often do you actually get to do that? 
It's just, it's such a sacred experience. Just eat your hot dogs. But, dog. like, Raider fans are fucking assholes, <laughs> too, man. And it was funny because, like, we, we, you know, you know, Chris, as a Philly fan, you know how it goes. But we, like, buy into that. Like, yeah, we're the Raider Nation. This is what we do. And it's I, like, no. I, I think, style is cool. I, I, I think cool. transparency is very important. I am a different person as an Eagles fan. Mm. I'm just telling you that. <laughs> do you boo Santa Claus? Every, every, Let's every, go to an Eagles game. Every Christmas? <laughs> I don't boo him, no. Okay. No. Okay. But I, you know, like I come from a city that booed Destiny's Child at the All Star game and Kobe. You know what I mean, like, at the same game. Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> Philly really can make anybody a villain it's in right. a way that nobody else. But Kobe wore <laughs> really jersey and was like, "I'm one of y'all." He's like, "You're not even from here. Fuck you. You're going. You play for the Lakers." Like, bro, you're a lower Marion. <laughs> we should wrap it up there. Yeah. Yeah. Logan, thank you so much for joining us today. Everyone read Logan's piece on Trey at TheRinger.com. Listen to Real Ones Mondays and Wednesdays. And check out Chris Chris Ryan on Rewatchables and any number of Ringer properties. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.